0: They don't always hit, but boom, boom, they're still deadly.
1: Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And
2: I'm your host, Katie, and today we are talking about the mysterious death of Robert Wan.
0: And where did you do your research this week, Katie?
2: Mostly on whomurderedrobertwan.com, and then I did some Reddit rabbit holes.
0: Ooh, so this one's kind of fun then.
2: It's interesting. There's really not, once you get to the end of it, there's really not a whole lot of theories you can make out of it besides what most likely happened.
0: So you can find a conclusion. It's not one of those, goddamn what if?
2: Not, yeah, I mean, legally, no, there's no conclusion. We don't know for sure. So I guess you can say that there could be other conclusions, but I don't know. I think the evidence all points to three people.
1: Three people, and we're going to learn about those people. Why don't you go ahead and start us off, Katie?
2: Robert Wan was born in New York City in 1974 to William and Amy Wong. As a fourth-generation Chinese-American, Robert spent most of his life embracing his heritage and discussing what it meant to be Asian-American.
1: Like, just his whole life, he was just talking about it?
2: I mean, he was very scholarly, so he wrote a lot of papers and was published in, like, his high school and during college, and he was in a lot of clubs and groups and...
1: So he was respected talking about it. He wasn't just, like, the crazy guy who always brings it up.
2: No. Ah, okay. He attended a Catholic high school, then went on to the College of William and Mary, where he focused on public policy. Robert was active in the college's student government, where he met Joseph Price, who will be important later in the story.
1: What kind of college is the College of William and Mary? I've never heard of it. Religious school? Oh, Catholic. Could be. It says, she said Catholic, but...
2: He went to a Catholic high school. Oh. He was also active in the Thirteen Club, whose members went around campus doing anonymous good deeds for other students. He was elected into three different honor societies and was presented with an award for his overall good deeds when he graduated in 1996. He then attended the University of Pennsylvania Law School to become a lawyer. His focus was on employment law and real estate, and he graduated in 1999 and passed the New York bar exam. In 2000, Robert joined Covington and Burling in Washington, D.C. as his first official job in a law practice. Robert met his wife, Catherine Yu, at a conference in Philadelphia in 2002 and were married in June 2003.
0: What kind of conference was this?
2: A law conference? Okay, so now we're going to discuss the three other major players in this case, and it's possible it may get a little confusing because there's a lot of names to keep track of, so bear with me. I mentioned Joseph Price earlier, who Robert met at the College of William & Mary. After graduating, Price went to the University of Virginia Law School. He worked for ar Fox, where he specialized in intellectual property litigation and trademark disputes.
1: I don't think I would trust a company whose name was ar Fox. Probably someone's la- two last names put together.
2: I mean, it was intellectual property litigation, so it's not like they were...
1: Oh, you gotta be cunning like a fox for intellectual property.
2: They weren't trying to like get you off of a first-degree murder charge. Joseph was also extremely active in gay rights advocacy and worked as counsel on many high-profile gay rights cases. Joseph began a relationship with a man named Victor Zaborski in 2001. Victor was most known for his work with the Milk Processors Education Program in 2006.
1: Is that bringing awareness to milking?
2: Basically, yeah. So, Wait, really? Some people probably don't know, like younger people, but do you guys remember the Got Milk ads with the milk mustaches?
1: yeah ah that, that type was... of milking. <laughs> those ads if people don't know about the ads they definitely don't know about the fucking like how fake the mustaches were
0: see do you also remember the uh <laughs> the guy that had a whole bunch of peanut butter in his mouth and was trying it was on a call game show and was trying to answer the answer question. question that was the first got milk commercial that i remember
1: i do remember that commercial
0: That was a good one. That was excellent.
1: Remember Derek Jeter? Hated him.
0: Cindy Crawford did a Got Milk. Seal,
1: I think, did a Got Milk commercial. Pretty
2: much everyone that was famous during this time period did a Got Milk.
1: Pretty sure
0: Daryl Strawberry did one, too.
1: How how young of fans do we have? This is some graphic content, right? If you're under a certain age.
0: People after the year 2005 probably don't remember this. 16, Even younger
2: five. than that. I mean, if you were born in 2004, you would have been 16. two then. 17, and 17 year now olds you're 17. So
1: yeah. you Spotify's an all-ages platform. Yeah. You know what? Thanks, Spotify. We don't care. Thanks for
2: listening. Even people that were like six at that time that are...
1: Six-year-olds might listen to us.
0: Yeah. I do remember Got Milk, though, Katie.
2: Yes. Anyway, so yeah. His job was basically promoting milk and drinking milk. Oddly enough, that was a thing we did here.
1: Osteoporosis didn't stand a chance. You know what? I,
2: th- I
0: just had a great idea for an almond milk or soy milk commercial. So you just have like a weird creepy guy sitting around in his apartment and there are like open containers of milk everywhere and he's just sitting there chugging down some milk in front of a TV playing a whole bunch of uh, like squiggly lines.
2: Is he going to say not milk? Damn it, Katie. <laughs> he <laughs> <laughs> based that on... Um... <laughs> Son of Sam, too.
0: Yeah, I know. That's what made it so good.
2: (laughs)
1: Katie ruined your milk
2: commercial.
0: Katie did ruin my milk commercial. That's funny
1: as fuck, though.
2: Joseph and Victor were both close friends of Robert and his wife Kathy, attending their wedding in 2003 and hosting Robert's 30th birthday party in 2004. Finally, we have Dylan Ward. Dylan was a relatively unknown children's book author, receiving his master's in children's literature from Simmons College in 2003.
1: I have a master's in writing. I'm going to write children's books. I'm sure they'll be great.
2: (laughs) His degree was a master's in children's literature.
1: Oh. I bet that includes The Hobbit.
2: Is The Hobbit included in children's literature? Yeah. Yeah, it's like fifth grade reading level. Oh. After graduating, Dylan moved to Washington, D.C. and joined a gay rights advocacy group where he met Joseph Price. He began renting a basement apartment from Joseph and Victor, who were again in a relationship and living together.
1: So they went split skis and then they came back? They're living together again? Or they were just always living together?
2: Always lived together. They started dating in 2001 and they've lived together pretty much. Dylan
0: moved into the basement the conception. apartment. Yes. Oh, Dylan.
2: Dylan is was not involved. Yes. Joseph and uh, Joseph and Victor, the original couple. Uh, and then Dylan gets involved.
1: JV and then it becomes JVD.
2: If that's how you remember it, Yes. At some point after moving in, I'm not sure when, but Joseph and Dylan began an intimate relationship. Joseph and Victor were still committed to each other, but Joseph now also had a relationship with Dylan. According to Victor, Dylan didn't share a quote-unquote equal part in the relationship, but they all lived together and operated as a family, basically a polyamorous relationship.
1: Equal part like he didn't get to share a room
0: with him? Equal part probably just like he was a fun time Sally or whatever.
2: I mean, they were all committed to each other, but the relationship was mostly Joseph and Dylan, and then Joseph and Victor. Victor and Dylan didn't really have anything going on between them, from what I understand. In 2005, the three moved into a townhouse on Swan Street. Joseph and Victor shared the master bedroom, Dylan slept in his own bedroom, there was a guest bedroom, and there was a female roommate that lived in the basement. She's not really relevant, though, so don't worry about that. So, to lay the house out for you, on the first floor was the kitchen, living room. There was a patio that led to the backyard. You go up to the second floor, where the guest room and Dylan's rooms are located. And finally, the third floor held the master bedroom, where Joseph and Victor stayed.
0: That's a big house.
2: Yeah. It was worth, I think, like $1.5 million, somewhere around there. It was a very nice Whose house townhouse. was this? They
1: were they were renting it?
2: They bought it, I'm pretty sure.
1: They bought it?
2: He was a lawyer.
1: Yeah, he was. Oh, right.
2: And the other guy was involved with, like, the biggest government campaign probably ever run. Got
1: Milk. I keep forgetting I'm just really unsuccessful for 30.
0: Yeah, he's a Got Milk millionaire. Got Milk millionaire.
2: In 2006, Robert quit his job with Covington and Burling and began a job with Radio Free Asia, where he worked as general counsel. He and Kathy lived in Oakton, Virginia, and would commute to D.C. every day, which took around 30 to 40 minutes.
1: What's Radio Free Asia? It's like literally free radio for Asia?
2: Yes. They basically just broadcast, like, news and other stuff to Asia. On June 29th, Robert is invited to a CLE course that begins early in the morning on August 2nd. He also wanted to stay late that evening to meet the night shift employees at his job. Rather than having to commute the 40 minutes home so late, then back the next morning, Robert decides that it would be better to stay with a friend in D.C. that night. He originally reached out to a female friend, but she declines. He then reaches out to Joseph Price, who is happy to let Robert stay in his guest room.
1: Why did, why did she decline? Was he creepy?
2: No, he was a really wonderful man. Probably I just, just don't said, think...
0: No, my boyfriend would not be comfortable with that.
2: Something like that. She just... It wasn't like a huge scandal. She just... Said no. Said she no. Was- <laughs> At 8.45 a.m. on August 2nd, 2006, Robert and Kathy head into D.C. together and part ways. Work in the CLE class goes from around 9 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. that evening. When the class is over, Robert calls Kathy and lets her know he's heading over to work to meet the night shift employees. Another employee was with Robert during this time and backs up the story. At 10.24, Robert calls Joseph from his office, most likely to tell him that he'd be there soon. At this point, Joseph was finishing cleaning up an overflowing shower in the master bedroom. Between 10.30 and 10.40 p.m., Robert arrives at the Swan Street home. When he arrives, he, Joseph, and Dylan all catch up over glasses of water in the kitchen. Victor is upstairs in the bedroom watching Project Runway. I don't believe he went downstairs at any point to say hello to Robert. Between 10.50 and 11, everyone decides to go to bed and heads to their respective bedrooms. Joseph watches the end of the Project Runway episode with Victor, then turns on something on Spike TV. After 5-10 to 10 minutes, Victor says he wants to go to sleep, so they turn the television off. Dylan takes a sleeping pill around 11 and reads a book for a bit before falling asleep. He heard Robert taking a shower in the second-story bathroom around this time. At 11.05 and 11.07, two emails are drafted but not sent on Robert's Blackberry. One is to his wife, where he states he's just showered and was about to go to sleep, and another to a co-worker confirming a lunch meeting the next day. At this point, the timeline gets extremely hazy. Between 11 and 11.35, or possibly between eleven forty five and eleven fifty two. The next door neighbor hears what he describes as a quote unquote desperation scream from the Swan Street home.
1: How far away are these homes? Are they, they're, they're
2: townhouses, so they're very close together.
1: Oh, so he was like, Oh, that's on the Pretty other side of the wall, I heard that type thing. But it yeah. up
2: to each other, yeah. Sometime between eleven when everyone went to sleep and eleven forty nine, both Joseph and Victor hear the door alarm chime. Their home had one of those security systems that even if they aren't alarmed, the door still beeps when it's opened.
1: Intruder alert.
2: That night, for some reason, they hadn't set the alarm. They would later claim that after dinner, Joseph went outside to look at a spider on the porch light and forgot to lock the door behind him. Which is a unique excuse. From what I've... I saw some sources that said that this neighborhood wasn't, like... The best of the best, and so it was one of those, like, lock your doors, set your alarm at night before you go to bed.
1: For, like, a million-dollar house?
0: I don't know. Sometimes I forget to lock my doors. I don't live in, like, the fanciest neighborhood.
2: If there's three—I mean, that's one person. If there's three people that should be remembering at least one of them to set the alarm, I don't know. Joseph and Victor both assume that the person coming in was their female roommate. I'm not exactly sure why, but she was not staying at the home that night. I think she was staying with a friend. She had told all three men that she would not be home. Either way, Joseph and Victor still assume it's her coming inside and pay the door chime no attention.
1: Hmm. I think if you have that many people living with you and you're going to have a fancy alarm, everyone should have an ankle bracelet and it stings off. They go ding, ding, their own little chime every time they walk in. I bet you could
0: probably tune that out eventually and you wouldn't hear it anymore.
1: Somebody out of everyone would be like, oh, yeah.
0: That thing would actually be so creepy if you lived alone (laughs) and you heard it at night. (laughs) You're like, oh, fuck. Oh, who's here? At
2: 1149, Victor calls 911. Victor tells the operator that they need police and an ambulance as someone came into their home and stabbed their house guest. Victor says that Robert has been stabbed in the stomach and is not conscious. Victor tells the operator that he is upstairs and his partner is downstairs with Robert. He says he believes that an intruder came into the home and stabbed him as they heard the door chime. The operator tells Victor to go downstairs and apply pressure to wherever Robert was stabbed and hold it until the paramedics arrived. Then, Victor says that he was stabbed in the heart in the center of his chest. You can at one point hear Victor talking to someone, then he says that Robert is breathing but needs help now. Victor says that his partner is holding a towel on the wound and the operator explains that when the towel becomes saturated, he should place another towel on top of that but never remove pressure. She then asks Victor if the door is unlocked so the paramedics can get inside, and Victor oddly points out that the intruder has one of their knives.
1: Like he says that on the 911 call?
2: Yeah, he said he took one of our knives. Then he says that they were upstairs and did not hear the door chime until they heard screams, then they ran downstairs and they heard the chime go off.
1: Which isn't true.
2: Yeah, they were laying in bed when they heard it. The call ends around 11.54 when paramedics arrive and Victor opens the door. You can hear him begging them to help in hurry, then he begins to sob and hyperventilate. As paramedics approach the house, they see Victor on the front porch in a bathrobe. They ask where the victim is, then enter the house and walk up the stairs, where Dylan is standing about three-quarters of the way up. They also ask him where the victim is, and Dylan just points at the guest room and walks into his room. The paramedic later said that Victor's sobbing didn't seem sincere and that Dylan would not look him in the eye.
1: How did he sound on the 911 call? Like sincere, insincere, nonchalant?
2: I mean, to me, it sounds insincere because he goes from crying to totally fine and giving weird facts and then crying again. It's very straight to the point at some points and then other times he's crying like he's actually upset but he was the only one in the house that was upset in any way, shape, or form. When the paramedic enters the room, he finds Robert lying on the pull-out bed with his head on the pillow. The pillow is fluffed, with the only indentation under his head, as if he hadn't moved since lying down. Robert is lying on top of the sheets, with the top sheet and comforter pulled down at the end of his bed. Robert is dressed in his normal sleeping clothes and has his mouth guard in. Joseph is sitting on the edge of the bed with his back to the door. When the paramedic asked what was going on, Joseph says he heard a scream and moved out of the way. But at no point, when the paramedic was in the room, was Joseph actually touching Robert?
0: Oh, no shit. So he didn't really have pressure on his chest?
2: No, he was just sitting there. He had one leg on the on the bed and one on the floor, and he was just sitting there next to him. Hmm. And then he doesn't leave the room as the paramedics start working. He just moved to the other side of the bed and watched.
1: Weird. long stretch to have one leg on the floor and one leg on the bed. Yeah. Pretty
0: cozy position.
2: Robert has three slit-like stab wounds to his abdomen. They were all extremely uniform and parallel to each other. What was odd about the stab wounds was, one, there was absolutely no defensive wounds on Robert anywhere. He had not made any sort of movement when the knife was inserted and pulled down his stomach.
1: Because I could tell that like, by the pattern from the knife, right? If someone flinched away or tried to pull away as it was...
2: Normally, you're going to pull your arms, basically, to the part of you that's being injured, so you'd have something on your hands, or you're going to grab whoever's stabbing you, so you'd have something on your hands or your arms from trying to protect yourself, but you had nothing. Second, and probably the strangest, was that they weren't bleeding and hadn't bled. There was a very thin layer of blood on the wounds, but it had come from something being pressed or rubbed on the wound to place blood on them. The shirt he had been wearing had three cuts lining up with his wounds, but was not bloody at all. Joseph claimed that when he found Robert, he lifted his shirt and saw blood everywhere. Evidence did not back this up, and you shouldn't ever have to lift a stabbing victim's shirt to find blood.
0: That's really weird.
2: Yeah, so there was no blood anywhere, and he was stabbed. These are huge, four-inch-deep wounds.
1: Well, most people, when they get stabbed, they do their best to clean it up, and then before they die, they put on a fresh shirt. And match the stab wounds so you can find the stab wounds in them post-mortem.
2: Yeah, it was just very strange. There was just not a drop of blood. It was perfectly pristine like you walked into a fucking hotel room. Joseph, Victor, and Dylan looked freshly showered and dressed to paramedics and police. They were all completely calm, cool, and collected, despite their friend having just died in their bedroom. Paramedics also said that Robert himself looked showered, redressed, and placed back into the bed. On the end table were Robert's belongings, which had not been touched. He had two wallets, both with cash inside, as he carried one dummy wallet in case he was ever mugged.
1: So smart dude. I wonder where he kept the real wallet. Like, He's got the dummy wallet. It's got 20 bucks in it. It's in his back pocket. But you think he kept uh, the other wallet in his front pocket like Rory, like a weirdo? Probably. There's just no good place to stash a wallet unless you wear high socks.
2: His watch, cell phone, and night guard case were all undisturbed. There was also a knife from the kitchen with Robert's blood on the blade. Next to his overnight bag is a towel with blood on it. This isn't your usual bloody towel from pressing on a stab wound, though. There is three very small spots of blood that, according to police, look deliberately placed.
1: Yeah, they kind of look like if you laid out a towel while you were sh- like tri- trimming or something, and you cut yourself, and you just like drip- got some blood on it here and there, dabbed it up, and kept going.
2: Yeah, and one of them, the one that circled three here, I'll post the picture on Facebook, but you can see it's kind of a straight line, and they think that the knife that they found on the nightstand was actually wiped on this towel. Hmm.
0: That's what I was just going to say. It looks like it.
2: Yeah, they wiped the blade on the towel, and I assume some of the blood from the towel got on the knife. Huh. But yeah, this is not, this is like a drop or two of blood. This is not what you would see when someone is stabbed and bleeding to death.
1: Yeah, there's definitely not like, unless the movies are just exaggerating, uh, that's not very much blood. They're
2: not. You have like five to seven liters of blood in your body.
1: Well, I was going to ask this question later, but I'll ask it now. How much blood was he missing?
2: I don't think they tested like his blood volume, but a good portion of his wounds had blood internally. That was one theory that it could have been like a tamponade, which is where all of your wounds bleed internally and you bleed out that way. But there still wasn't enough that he was stabbed and all of the blood leaked somehow back inside of his body, which still is not at all how it would work.
1: So part of the autopsy is draining the blood, but you don't measure how much you get out of them, so you know how much they lost?
2: There's no way to know how much he had before he was stabbed. Detectives arrive at the home just after midnight. They find a lot of expensive electronics in the living room. This, along with Robert's wallet's undisturbed, rule out burglary cadaver dogs were brought in and alerted to two locations an outside drain and the lint trap in the dryer in dylan's room there are various bdsm toys including a milking machine which is exactly what you think it is don't google it and various bdsm books I
1: thought victor was the milkman
0: well now we know it's dylan
2: <laughs> so yeah there was all kinds of
0: what is a milking
1: machine?
2: Do you really need me to explain that to you? Yes, we have to, to tell
1: listeners We've got young listeners. That one one? It's no. literally
2: you put it on your penis and it jerks you off until you come in it.
1: Oh, that's not what that's I thought it was. That's not what I thought it
2: was. either. What, what did you think it was? I thought it was a prostate
1: <laughs> milking machine.
2: No, it milks the semen out of you.
1: Oh, I thought it was a table with a hole in it and you lay on it. No. That's like a milking table, right, but let's, you uh, use a machine instead of a person. Con- <laughs> let's continue.
2: There was all kinds of BDSM toys that were not like your normal starter, like fuzzy handcuffs. They had you're far beyond just getting into it Well, these toys. things
1: escalate quickly.
2: Which, nothing against that community, but he had all, everything under the sun. That's what I'm saying.
1: These things escalate quickly.
2: They also found a three-piece cutlery set in Dylan's room with one knife missing.
1: What? So there was two knives... In theory here, there's the one they found with the body, and then there's another one that's missing.
2: Yeah, so the one, I think the one in the room was matching the room, the one in the kitchen that was missing out of their actual, like, knife block. But this knife they never found, Dylan's knife.
1: And then the knife that they found next to the body had blood on the blade, right?
2: Very little, but yes.
1: I think that knife is the knife they used and wiped on that sheet. And then the other knife, they just smushed a little blood on it, trying to make it look like it was a murder weapon.
2: Police talked to the three men in the living room before transporting them to the police station. They recounted the story of Joseph and Victor finding Robert lying in the bed with a knife on his chest, which they moved, but it was later found the knife had no fingerprints on it. At one point, Dylan begins to speak, but Joseph and Victor shoot him a look, and he stops talking. At the station, all three men are unmotivated to answer questions and stick with the unknown intruder theory, despite multiple attempts by police to get them to open up.
1: Nobody's snitching.
2: No. Robert is officially pronounced dead on arrival at 1225, and an autopsy begins. Robert's long heart and abdomen were all punctured by a four to five inch knife, and the wounds were listed as his cause of death.
1: How long was the knife found on his body?
2: I think around the same size, but it wasn't as likely to cause the wounds as a different knife. It's estimated that he lived longer than a minute after the initial stab, as his digestive system is filled with blood.
1: Why does that happen when you're alive still and not when you're dead?
2: When your heart's still pumping blood through your body? Oh, I get you.
1: So they.
0: Okay, Why so don't-, don't you bleed when you're dead, Katie? <laughs> Shut the
1: fuck up i get it because the wounds were in his digestive system and then the heart kept pumping for another minute or two
2: yes because you are slicing all of your veins and arteries and capillaries in your abdomen so the blood's gonna pool there are seven small needle puncture marks on robert's right foot neck chest hand and left elbow forearm at minimum the needle mark in robert's ankle cannot be related to medical intervention but more than likely only two of the seven can be
1: For like the IVs and stuff that the paramedics Mm -hmm. gave him?
2: Yeah. The autopsy also found that these needle marks were inflicted before death. So definitely not the paramedics. One of the whites of his eyes contained burst capillaries, usually indicative of some form of asphyxiation, but no signs of manual strangulation were found. A toxicology report finds no drugs in his system, but it's possible not everything was tested for. Finally, Robert's own semen is found in his anus and on his genitals.
0: Now, how does that happen?
2: That is a very good question.
0: You don't think they, like, torture-fucked him to death, do you?
2: That's the theory.
0: Ah, Yeah. Rough. rough. Torture-fucked?
2: The theory is that this was some sort of sexual assault gone wrong. So, I don't know exactly how... Because there was no other DNA found in or on him, it was strictly his own semen, inside of his anus, not just around it. It was inside of him,
1: and it was around the area, right? Yeah, and
2: so, it was like on his genital area.
1: So even if someone had taken him in and showered, you would have thought that they would have that would have gotten all cleaned up. So they re smeared him. But how did they stick it in his own ass?
2: Back at the home, it's discovered that there were only fibers on the knife from the towel and that the blade edge had been wiped clean. Back at the home, it's discovered that there were only fibers on the knife from the towel and that the blade edge had been wiped clean. There were no fibers on the knife from Robert's t-shirt that would indicate that it had been used to stab him.
1: Was it a smooth knife? Not serrated, not a sharp, like, like a nice smooth, sharp edge,
2: you know? It was not serrated, no. It was just your regular kitchen knife. The towel we discussed earlier is discovered to have been used to place blood on the knife. The only blood on the bed is from paramedics moving Robert's body onto a stretcher. After Joseph and Victor are released from the police station, they are picked up by a friend and wait for Dylan to be released. The friend supposedly overheard Joseph say that he had pulled the knife out of Robert. Another witness at another location later claims to have heard Joseph say the same thing. When police ask if the three will come back for further questioning, they decline to do so without lawyers present, but do agree to give DNA samples.
1: Because they knew there was no DNA on the body.
2: On August 4th, Joseph, Victor, and Dylan traveled to Oakton to speak to Robert's wife, Kathy, and tell her what they knew.
1: Ooh, bold move.
2: Over the course of this conversation, the three men learned that Kathy had spoken to one of Robert's ex-colleagues from Covington and Burling. What did he say? Yes, I will be your lawyer.
1: Oh, that's it?
2: <laughs> he was a lawyer. I mean, they talked about what they were going to do, I assume, and probably taking care of his will and
1: oh, any sort of hoping... life
2: insurance. The next day, Kathy is interviewed by D.C. police and has the lawyer sit with her. On August 6th, Joseph calls the lawyer and inquires about what the detectives ask and what Kathy had told them. Eventually, the police search the three's cars but find nothing. After this, the case goes cold.
1: Yeah, what did they expect to find in their cars if they everything
2: happened in the apartment? Just routine police work, really. In 2008, Dylan Ward was charged with obstruction of justice with the hopes that he would change his story. Police also told Joseph and Victor that they would be arrested for the same if they didn't start telling the truth.
1: How could they do that? Just, like, like why would they, what, what, what did Dylan do to get obstruction of justice, I guess, is my question.
2: I think police believed that he was the most involved in Robert's death.
1: So just by saying nothing, he was obstructing justice and they could nab him or what?
2: If you lie to the police about a murder, you're obstructing justice.
1: I know, I'm just asking what proof they had of that. Like, don't you have to have proof to arrest someone on that? Probably gave him a ticket and a court date.
2: There's a very long, detailed affidavit for his original arrest that I can send you if you want. But it details the whole theory, what they think happened, who they think was involved.
1: Well, that makes more sense. I was just trying to get to the bottom of that.
2: So, I mean, they had what they thought was evidence. And then you take it to court to see if it's real legitimate evidence that you can be sent to prison for.
1: And then they lose a timeout if they... Are wrong? Like, there's no ramifications if they fucking drug you through court for nothing?
2: No, that's the whole entire court process.
0: Well, yeah, there there can be. I mean, you can technically sue the city or state or whoever is charging you with it, but why would you? You just got off free.
2: None of the men changed their stories. so Will Joseph and Victor are arrested in November 2008. The affidavit alleges that the three men injected Robert with a paralytic agent, sexually assaulted, and murdered him. They also alleged that the three men cleaned the crime scene, delayed reporting the murder to the police, and lied to the police about the true circumstances of the murder. Around the same time, Kathy filed a $20 million wrongful death suit against all three men. In 2010, a judge ruled that all three were not guilty of obstruction, conspiracy, and tampering with evidence. While she said the intruder theory is implausible, she said that there was no evidence against the three men that was beyond a reasonable doubt.
1: Damn. Is it possible to get someone to ejaculate when they're paralyzed? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Paralytic
0: agents probably for just, like, muscle and shit.
2: Even people that are, like, paraplegics and quadriplegics are still able to get erections and ejaculate.
1: Oh, like in Breaking Bad?
2: Yes, literally that can happen. Okay. The wrongful death suit was settled for an undisclosed amount three men moved to Florida, where they're likely still living. Joseph changed his name to Joseph Anderson and began working as a director of litigation for Americans for Immigrant Justice. What's interesting is I found an article from 2018 where he was actually involved in a case against the Tucson Border Patrol sector for the treatment of detainees.
1: Ooh, Four Corners link.
2: So he was here and close. Hmm. Dylan Ward changed his name to Dylan Thomas and works as a Pilates instructor at Pure Pilates in Miami. Victor Zaborsky, as far as I can tell, is still the vice president of marketing at Milk PEP.
1: So he might not be doing much these days.
0: <laughs> Everyone got
1: milk already. Everyone got milk and they're switching to not milk.
2: I mean, they still advertise milk occasionally on television
1: yeah well then people go around talking about how there's all kinds of bacteria and grossness in it and people like me who used to love milk can't bring themselves to drink it anymore
2: so do you guys have theories what do you think
0: i have a theory
2: okay what is it
0: so these three guys definitely did it and i think they all did it together in ritual sacrifice and you want to know why i think that why because they all still are fairly rich And in their polyamorous
1: relationship.
2: Possibly. I don't know if they're... I know, I'm pretty sure Victor and Joseph are still together, but I don't know about Dylan.
1: They all get together and bang on occasion. I think that
0: Dylan was the main killer, though, but I do believe the paralytic agent, and they just couldn't get it right, so they kept trying different locations. That's why he has, like, seven intravenous areas or whatever, and that's why they went between the toes, because they're like, oh, I hear heroin addicts do that.
1: Is it possible to get someone to ejaculate after they're dead?
0: Yes. Actually, I don't know.
2: I don't think so.
0: I think if you cut it open and just squeeze it out, you might be able to get a little bit.
2: Because, yeah. It's probably one of
0: the first things to die once you're dead.
2: I think it is it is possible, but I don't think it happens very often. Because when you die, all of your muscles relax, which is the opposite of ejaculating, really. If you think about it.
0: So if you dig a little bit on Reddit, you understand that that's not a problem for female morgue workers. The grossest thing is that sometimes when you're on top, it squishes um, stuff out other orifices.
2: Yes, you leak a lot after you're dead.
0: But so what happened in the house, guy shows up, comes inside... They're talking about now's our chance, we can get away with this. They drug his drink and then try to give him the paralytic agent. They then stab him well, they then sexually assault him, stab him in sacrifice, spend about an hour cleaning that up, and then call the police. It was but they one of them didn't
2: have an hour. They had
0: He he showed up at like what, ten forty?
2: Between ten forty and ten fifty, and he was showered. Presumably, and dressed and prepared for bed, so he.
0: Hmm. That is weird. And they
2: called the police at 11:49, so at that point you have between, I mean, 50 minutes. Yeah,
1: like
0: basically to hour.
2: murder someone and then clean the entire crime scene, shower a dead body, Unless
1: redress they, them. They did it in the shower. They did it outside at the drain. Did, well. Yeah, I guess that's true. And then
0: the cadaver dog came to the lint in the laundry because they washed the towel, dried or washed the clothes that were in there.
2: I think they would have just dried them. You wouldn't have time to run a yeah. full cycle on a washing and mm. a drying. They
0: dried them to dry them when the from the outdoor shower that they used. And then
2: they all showered.
0: Well, I'm my guess is that like Dylan didn't know them, know him as well as the other two did, right?
2: No, he did not.
0: Okay, so I think he did it. He stabbed him outside as he walked into the backyard. a Couple times.
2: So, what about the emails that were drafted? You think that was Cover someone up. else?
0: Cover up them. Um, yeah, on his BlackBerry.
1: Why wouldn't he hit send, or whoever, whoever typed? Yeah. Him why
0: would he, Why would he not send them? He was murdered as he was typing them.
2: Why would you not send them if you were murdered?
0: That's what I'm saying. Why would you not send them if you were not?
1: Here's what I think happened. Really, I I was pretty much right along the line with Rory there. But I gotta change my theory now. So this is what happened. Dylan, when they were all fucking down there drinking water, had already somehow drugged Robert's water and then tried to get him to go do stuff with him. Yeah, he was thinking he'd sexually assault him, basically, because he was all sour because Victor and Joseph were going to go upstairs and do their thing. Even in his drug state, Robert was like, no, 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 I'm not down for this. And then Dylan got pissed off and, uh, you know, he injected him with some paralytics, and then uh, they all killed him from there.
2: So why do you think the other two men got involved?
1: Because then they decided to do a ritual sacrifice in order to keep their relationship and their wealth strong for years to come.
0: I think this is the two stronger protecting the weaker type of instance where it probably will, could have been accidental that he stabbed him and the other two stepped in. I don't get the ejaculation part.
1: Well, that's the thing. At first, it almost seems like... Well, that's why I was asking the questions because I was wondering, you know, did he have to ejaculate on his own or if he was already paralyzed?
0: So can they tell if you've been had butt sex within the past 24 hours or yes. whatever?
2: Yeah. There was would be abrasions. No.
0: So, none of that was there?
2: No, he had not, from what I can tell, the autopsy did not find any sort of tears in his... So,
0: what's your, what's your theory, Katie?
2: Um. So, there is another theory that's, like, I think totally off the wall, but supposedly, Joseph had a brother named Michael, who was a drug addict and a phlebotomy student, and the night of the murder, Michael was, for whatever reason, not at class, and he had burglarized the Swan Street home or had a key. One of those two, I don't know for sure, but he had burglarized the home before. It was never reported to the police. Joseph supposedly always covers up for Michael and all of his wrongdoings. And some people think that for whatever reason, Michael burglarized the home that night and killed Robert. But that still doesn't explain why nothing was taken. If you came here Mm -hmm. planning to burgle the house, why you would just stab someone and leave.
1: What if he popped in and he was like, that's my bed, and, and went into a rage.
2: I mean, me personally, I 100% think that all three of these men were involved because there's no way that an intruder would have gotten because their backyard fence was eight feet tall. So there's no way he, someone would have randomly scaled that and then found the door open and then somehow made it through the kitchen, up the stairs, and directly to Robert's bedroom. Yeah, and just, just known, on like, their own.
1: Let me go get the guest who's staying here all randomly. Exactly. Like.
2: So I think that more than likely, I do think it was Dylan that initiated everything. And I think basically he took it too far drugging Robert and he thought he was dead. And so he called everyone else in. They all each three times stabbed him because there's three men, three stab wounds to kill him and make it look like an intruder. (laughs) And then they cleaned everything up.
1: They all stabbed him exactly the same. I think they drained his blood too.
0: I still don't get the, the, the semen The semen in the butt, though.
2: I think more than likely Dylan in some way. it. I mean, it could have been Joseph. It could have been Victor, too. But I think in some way he was sexually assaulted. And it could have been when he was completely not in the conscious state of mind and he didn't know what was happening to him. And then for whatever reason, one of them inserted his own semen into his rectum.
0: Huh. Is that going to do it for us tonight, Katie?
2: That is it, yeah.
0: All right, guys. Well, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R, cornerscrimecast at gmail.com.
2: You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast on Twitter at fourcornerscast and at fourcornerscrimecast.tumblr.com.
1: And don't forget to give us rate and A-rate and review on Apple Podcasts, and follow us on Spotify. And don't forget to check out our website, com. Head over there for a full episode list or to send us ideas that you want to hear in an upcoming episode. You can also get a free sticker from our merch store. You just got to add it to your cart and then put in Bingo Bango at checkout and we'll ship it to you for free. We'll even pay for the stamp. So, this week, if you're thinking about staying over at some random acquaintance's house.
2: Not random. They were good friends.
1: Good friends or not, city dwellers, take take the train home.
0: Alright guys, we'll talk to you next week.
1: See ya. Adios, motherfuckers.
0: Katie, mm-hmm. if you had a superpower, what would that superpower be and what would you do with it?
2: Um, stop time.